This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. If you've lived in the world before, you've, you've had that sinking feeling of disappointment where you thought something was going to turn out a certain way. Okay, so I'm not a cake maker. I am not a cake maker at all, but for a while, when Pinterest first came out, I know I'm aging myself, I decided that I would, for my children's birthdays, I would not go to Safeway or Save On and buy a cake. I would bring a cake from my heart. (laughs) And the first cake that my children, and I, you know, when I decide to do something, I, like, I make a declaration. It's not a good idea, I know it's a lot like Joseph, it is not a good idea, but I do it anyways, and I try not to do it, but anyway. So I declared to my kids, from now on, kids, I'm going to make your cakes. They're going to be amazing. And the first one was actually quite good. I did an Elmo cake. It looked like Elmo. It's because I got the Elmo pan. And then I decided that I was going to go freeform. (laughs) Do you know freeforming a Darth Vader cake? No. Strong no. I brought the cake out to the table with all the kids uh, at the birthday party. Julian was probably about four or five at the time. The kids came up and were like, what is it? (laughs) It looks like sadness and tears. Uh, And I did this a number of years in a row. Disappoint every time I do, like I fully understand those memes that say, this is how you expected it to turn out and this is how you, like I, I have lived those memes. For many years, I don't make cakes anymore. If you need a cake made, don't ask me, unless you want something to look like a disaster. Uh, But in a very real level, we have all faced the idea of what we thought something was going to be, and then how it actually turns out. And unfortunately, that's a very, if you're human, that's a very familiar experience. The the human experience is such that although mentally we know that we're not the only ones feeling disappointed, it's weird how when we're disappointed, we feel like we're the only ones disappointed. Have you ever experienced this, like where things are not going right and you're like, it's only me. I'm the only person in the whole world for this ever to happen. And you don't tell this to anybody because you know if you have a real friend, they'll tell you the truth. They'll say, no, this is nonsense. But you say it inside of our heads, and the more we say it, the louder it grows. See, because when we have disappointment, we tell ourselves it's not regular disappointment, but it's crushing and life-defining in a way that nobody else can understand it. This morning, I want us to look at a text from Luke chapter 24 uh, at some characters who are probably the most discouraged in the Bible, and I think this is going to give us a roadmap to see how God meets us in our lowest points. So Luke chapter 24. I want you to take note today that this happens after the resurrection, okay? So now, now normally, just, just so that we're, if you're, if you're new to church, this is normally how it goes. Good Friday, we're solemn. I usually wear black and I make all my children wear black. They don't understand why, but it's fine. We're all going to be. Then on Resurrection Sunday, we break out the pastels. And we're going to sing all the songs. And if it weren't for really disturbing Gwen, we'd have glitter bombs every single year on Resurrection Sunday. But we love you, Gwen, so we don't. 
But this is not how it went in the scripture. Resurrection Sunday happened kind of to like a, a bit of a thud. Nobody really knew. So Luke chapter 24 happens after the resurrection. Now that's starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, so they're walking seven miles. Seven miles, let me just Canadianize that for you, it's 14 kilometers and change. It's, it's a long time. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? This is not said, okay, so now, when you're disappointed, I know this is just me, and people ask you useless questions. Do you, do you know this feeling? Do you know what happens to most of us? We engage in the art of sarcasm, most of us. Someone asks you something that's a useless question and you ask them, you tell them straight, what, what is wrong with you? Seriously, this is what Cleopas is saying here. I know most of you have read it in a Bible voice, like he was godly, in a soft and King James version. But no, Cle Cleopas was mad that Jesus was asking him this. Do you not know what's going on? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened? He's like basically saying, man, do you have your head stuck in the sand? What things, he asks. Now, you have to see the humor of Jesus here. Come on, it's Jesus. And he's asking, what, what do you mean? This is dad humor, really, really strong dad humor. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But what we had hoped that he was the one he was, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Can you hear the disappointment in their voices? And what is more, it's the third day since this all took place. Like basically they were saying, all hope is lost. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Okay, so now we, we read this. They've heard rumors, but, but we already know from verse 17 that they actually don't believe the rumors. This is just adding insult to injury. They're really disappointed. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. He was, he was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
Now, um, we, we can see that these travelers were disappointed, uh, but I think that this scripture te- teaches us a couple of things, really, really important things, about what it means to walk with a resurrected Jesus. Now, there are some of us that grew up in traditions that said that once you came to Jesus, that everything in your life would almost, I mean, nobody said this, but they implied, magically, everything would just turn out great. You, wanna, you want an easy, breezy life? Sign up for Jesus. It's free. And really, to those of us that have been living for a few minutes, that sounds too good to be true. And the truth was, if you've lived with Jesus for any amount of time, you know that 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 actually is true. That not everything becomes just smooth and easy. And the followers of Jesus, three days after he rose from the dead, knew this most of all. The first thing we learn in this is that God, Jesus himself, walks with us in our disappointment. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't come and cheer them up right away. Like, do you know when someone's really discouraged? Think about the last time you were discouraged or or a friend was discouraged. What's the first thing you want to do? Cheer them up. So what you do is you do things that you think would cheer them up. So if your friend's a Starbucks fan, you go and bring them a venti something with light ice, and I don't know how you have your drink, but... Or if they're um, discouraged, you try to say, no, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to make it. We try to be cheerleaders for each other. And that's partly for our friends, but it's also partly for us. Can we just be honest? Because none of us really likes to be around one or another of us when we're really discouraged. There's nothing worse than going out for dinner with somebody and saying, hey, how are things going? Terrible. I have no hope for the future. Everything's going to be awful forever. Wow, should we order the Brussels sprouts? (laughs) And so when you get with somebody like this, and this this is where we've gotten to weird toxic positivity, right? Because we're not very good at grieving with one another. So if somebody's grieving, the first thing you're doing is cheering them up, saying, you know what, it might be horrible right now, but I bet you a week from now it's going to get a lot better. You don't know if it's going to get a lot better. You are just saying that so you can eat Brussels sprouts in peace, yes? Don't admit it right now, but it's true. It's a funny thing about being human. We all have struggles, but it's hard for us to engage with others. But Jesus, who is perfect, he doesn't try to cheer up the people from Emmaus. He just walks with them. He walks with them. And he walks with them. And there's tension in this, though. Because as a person who hates to see people uncomfortable, this is a very disconcerting narrative. Jesus obviously knows why they're upset, even though he's really... And he, he could have run up to them and went, hey guys, here I am. Don't be sad. I'm alive. Nothing's bad. Like he could have made a rhyme or a rap or a dance. Kind of a lot of ideas here. And he does none of them. He just walks with them. 
Some of us are really uh, good at keeping surprises, others of us not so much. I have grown up in a family with a mom who's very good at keeping surprises, keep a straight face all day long. If you want to know anything at any time of day or night, you just have to ask my dad. He will tell you right away. And I have unfortunately, I have unfortunately been gifted that. I don't know if it's genetic. It's very difficult for me. We, we threw a surprise party for Amira when she turned 16 was very difficult for me the whole day because she was so sad because nobody called her and we barely made a big deal of it. Oh, is it your birthday? Did you turn 16? Well, I felt like I was lying all day. I was sweating profusely the entire day. I, I was charged. Now, I don't know why anybody gave me this charge, but I was charged with taking her to the mall to get a haircut because I thought that that would be a really good 16th birthday present. You can get a haircut. And I was so stressed. I've never been so glad. Go to the hairdresser now. Hopefully it will take them five hours to cut your four hairs. And I was so stressed because I'm not good at this tension. I knew, however, that if I told her at the mall, don't be sad, Amira. Nobody hates you. It's just your birthday. And we're trying to have a surprise party for you. I would have wrecked the whole thing. And Dave would have been very mad at me. And so in my head, I had everybody's angry faces for me wrecking the surprise. And I made it. it was very, did I make it or did I kind of tell you? <laughs> okay. I, I just need to make sure that I did kind of tell her. <laughs> oh, no. If you have a surprise to tell somebody, don't tell me. Just don't. Just, just let me go along with that surprise. Somehow God knows that if we can live in tension, in a bit of the tension, that it creates more, a more memorable and beautiful event. Like, listen, those of you that have been flat broke before and not known how you were going to pay your rent or pay your mortgage, when God comes through for you, do you know every time you get money in your bank, you're like, woohoo! Wow, we're not going to go under this month. Praise God. Or those of you that have had relationships in the ditch, and you know what it feels like to come down at the breakfast table, and it's so tense and horrible when God heals that. After it's been healed, you know what it is to live in relational beauty. And so God is more interested, listen, he's more interested in creating beauty in your life than he is in creating comfort for you. And some of you right now are on your own road to Emmaus. You feel like you're in, like it just feels like it's never gonna get better. And Jesus is walking with you in your difficulty. He's walking with you in the tension. And he's about to create something beautiful in your life. Some of us, though, on the road to Emmaus, in the middle of that tension, we just are like, I can't do it anymore. I'm out. See you later. Can't do this anymore. In our relationships, we think, I, I, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. God, God's walking with you in the tension saying, just wait, hold on. I'm about to create something beautiful. I want you to know today that no matter what disappointment you're walking with, Jesus is walking with you. 
This is the beautiful picture painted for us in Luke chapter 24. The most disappointment the disciples had ever had. Can you imagine you'd walked with Jesus for three years and you expected that he was going to take over the world? Soon coming, the Messiah that you had prayed for every day of your life. You thought he came, he healed people. The, way, the, the picture that was painted in your mind is that everything that was wrong with your life was going to be made right. And then he's killed. What? And the tension is palpable because you're not sure now Jesus is dead. Does that mean I'm going to die too? What does this mean? Here's Jesus just walking with them in all their disappointment. I want you to think about the most difficult part of your life that you're in right now. Think about it. Feel that tension. Feel the weight of it. Because we all, listen, none of us right now is like, oh, I can't think of anything. Everything's just so great. All of us have areas of our life where there's tension. Where we're wondering, I don't know. And now I want you to picture Jesus walking with you. And he's not put out. He's not wondering, I wonder if this is going to work out. He knows it is. He's walking with you in that tension, creating something beautiful in your life. Okay, the second thing I want you to see here is, is this, is that relationship with Christ is what opens our eyes. So these guys, I, I have thought about this and thought about it and thought about it. How did they not recognize Jesus? As a kid, I used to think maybe it was just like in that day everybody looked the same. They all had the same beard. They all had, I, this is not true. Uh, this was heresy, I was thinking, as a child. <laughs> the Bible just tells us that their eyes were closed. They didn't recognize him. You know, sometimes when we're so downtrodden, when we're in such a bad spot, we can't see each other. You ever notice that when you're in a bad situation in your life and you're in a bad season? You can barely remember those seasons. Psy psychologically, psychologists tell us that we can actually black whole parts of our life out. That's why some of you have big gaps of time. You can't see anything. You can't remember anything. You can't, some of you can barely remember your childhood because it was so painful that your mind actually just says, nope, nope, we're not going there. And in seasons when we're in so much pain, we, we find it hard to see each other. That's what makes, I mean, it's really actually what makes churches hard, right? Because it's a whole bunch of people going through a whole bunch of hard things and it's hard to see each other and then we bump over each other and we step on each other's feet. <laughs> but what's amazing is that Jesus comes. I, I want you to see that the Bible's very clear that their eyes are not open until they actually ate food with Jesus. What's interesting is that in Middle Eastern culture, the meal always represented relationship, always. Uh, once hospitality was extended and a meal was spread out, it was an indication of friendship. So I have you over, then, then we're, we're have, this is why, by the way, this is the power of communion, that God is continually calling us to friendship with him. He didn't, by the, <laughs> we just do this for like, in, in evangelical churches, 21st century, it would be hard to have a meal every week, right? 
So that's why we have the wafer. Jesus did not institute that tasteless wafer. I don't even know if he likes it, but it's sort of symbolic. Okay, it's supposed to be symbolic of a meal. I know it's not a meal. I know it is not a meal, but Let's read verse 30. It says, when he was at the table with them, okay, so he's, he's not, they're not going to come. Jesus is not going to come, and they say, come on, Je-. come, they don't say Jesus. They just say, come on and have a meal with us. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks. This tells us the power of communion here. He broke it and began to give it to them to eat. Then, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. I want to suggest that some of us have settled for merely, merely knowledge of Jesus instead of a relationship with him. So you hear the stories, and even good theological exegesis, you hear that, and like the travelers, listen, your heart might even burn. You might actually even think, oh, there's something about this. I don't really know. There's something about this. But some of you have never taken the next step to actually create a relationship with Jesus. And what this scripture keeps calling us back to is relationship with God. I think this is why we got a whole bunch of people sitting in churches all over the world who know of Jesus but do not know Jesus because they have substituted knowledge about him for relationship with him. And and what does it take to have relationship? Um, it, It takes time and listening and willingness to move in the direction that God calls us to. What's interesting here to me is it the scripture actually says, and Jesus kind of like look, made it look like he was going to keep walking until they said to him, Jesus. They didn't say Jesus. They didn't know who he was. Hey, friend, come and have dinner with us. There actually had to be invitation. I often wonder when I read that scripture, would Jesus have stopped if there wasn't an invitation? I don't think so. I think the scripture is really clear that there needed to be invitation. This is true of us, too. Every single one of us has to say, Jesus, I'm inviting you to come and and have relationship with me. Eat with me. Know me. You don't know somebody until you've eaten with them. This is true. Because all of us have experienced the I am plotting your death while you're eating experience. Those of you that... Those of you that know, know right now. You know, and you're sitting in a meal with someone that you love, that you love and cherish, and then they're chomping. I'm going to go so far as to say, if you've never had that experience, you don't know someone yet. You don't really know them in your heart. This is a very true thing. Eating with people breaks down this, like, superficial barrier. So let me ask you this. What is the last time that you ate with Jesus? their eyes were open and all of a sudden all that discouragement do you notice that the discouragement that they had didn't melt away until they ate with Jesus it's not until they learned the 75 scriptures 
that um, fulfilled the prophecies of Jesus. I was talking with a friend a little bit this week about this scripture, and they were like, well, I think the road to Emmaus really shows us that Jesus uh, was who he says he was, that he actually fulfilled those scriptures, and I agree with that. But that didn't mean jack squat to the disciples until they came into relationship with Jesus. None of it matters until we actually know him. None of it matters. Listen, none of religiosity, none of it has any meaning until we actually have a heart connection with Jesus. And I'm laying on my bed for the last two weeks, sick as I've ever been in my life. And I, all I could think of is, Jesus, I am so glad you are near to me. Can't lift my head off this pillow, but you are near to me. Listen, in the times of your life, when you can barely lift your head off the pillow, and these times will come, what matters is not regalia, what matters is not religion, what matters is not even that you are a nice person, What matters is do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have somebody who will open up your eyes when they are closed, that will remind you that you are more than just flesh and blood, but you are life and spirit and God has breathed in you. And this we keep at. What's weird to me is that these people Obviously, they had walked with Jesus for many years. They had relationship with him. What you lived on yesterday is not enough for today. We have to keep renewing that relationship with Jesus and saying, God, I want you more than I want anything else in my life. Okay, the third, the third thing, and this is maybe why this is my favorite scripture in all of the New Testament. I feel like I maybe say that every week, which could be true, so... Excuse me if I say that next week as well. In Luke chapter 24, there is very, very specific language that reminds us that Luke chapter 24 is not just a story about Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, but it is actually a mirroring of Genesis chapter 3. Let me read Genesis chapter 23 just briefly a few verses of it. This is the story of how Adam and Eve were deceived. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay. I need you to follow with me just for a few minutes. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 24, uh, things that are similar about them. So there are two humans involved, Adam and Eve, and the two people walking on the road to Emmaus. The second thing is that the both pair are offered food. Adam and Eve from the serpent, the two people walking from Jesus. The one offering the food is a supernatural being. In Genesis 3, the serpent is the devil. Luke chapter 24, it's Jesus. The food is accepted. 
The human pair does not recognize the one offering food for who they are. Eve has no sweet clue that the serpent is the devil. She is tricked. And the Cleopas and his friend have no clue that this is Jesus when he's offering them food. The eating of the food results in a profound new perception of a spiritual reality. And the, the language here is the same. Their eyes were open. Now, anybody who was studying the New Testament in that day, and we, we do know that, in the, that people um, growing up, Jewish young men, would have studied the Torah. The eyes, their eyes of their understanding would have been a ubiquitous phrase. When it's used here in Luke 24, it's not used like, let's just throw in a phrase. It's used with a great amount of precision. And they now understand uh, something God had already told them. What is Jesus doing here? What is the point of this? It is to remind us that the curse of sin has been absolutely broken in our lives. In Genesis chapter 3, mankind was hurled into all kinds of bondage because of the sin of Adam and Eve. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus walks with the two on the road to Emmaus, gives them food, and now opens the eyes of their understanding, we understand this, that the curse of sin that we have lived under is now broken. We don't have to live in bondage anymore, but we live in victory. This is the story of the resurrection. This is the story of our Jesus. Now, <clears throat> if you haven't been in church for a long time, this sounds like church language. For a long time, even as a church person, you remember there was, a, there was a time in the 90s, also the 2000s. I guess it's really been a time. We, we go through stages of singing freedom songs. Anybody? You know the free? I could try to sing them all. You don't want me to. We're in the river. We got a lot of freedom. Our shackles are gone. Mary, Mary sang it. People did video, human videos to it. Uh, and, like, what is that? Have any of you, is it just me, or has anybody of you ever wondered, what does that mean? No? You're all just free. Okay? Well, at least for me and maybe three other people here today, I have sung those songs and thought, and what am I free from? Free from running red lights? Free from being a mean person? Because I was mean this morning coming to church. What? Free from... Luke chapter 24 is what tells us what we're free from. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from, from, from death and, and awayness from God. We are free to be who God intended us to be in the garden. We are free to go back to our original design. Do you, don't, do you know the feeling when you've messed up? That horrible feeling that I know only three of you get. That feeling of like, I have done it again. Britney Spears wrote a song we all understand. Oops, I've done it again, or whatever the words are. Okay, so we have all been there where you're like, I cannot, I cannot. Have you ever had that feeling of like, if God, you'll just get me out of this situation, I won't get back into it, whether it be finances, friends, I don't know, whatever. It is. And then you go right back to it. Yes? 
How many of you have prayed a prayer? God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll never do that again. I'll never, ever do it again. And then you do it again. (sighs) Luke chapter 24 reminds us that when Jesus gives us the bread, when he breaks the bread for us, we are free. We don't have to live under that feeling anymore. Yes, you might have messed up, but Jesus says to you today, I forgive you. You are free. You don't have to live under condemnation anymore. You don't have to live under that heaviness that says you are not good enough, that says you will never make it, that says you're going to perpetually live and die lonely and afraid and lost and like you can never make it. Luke chapter 24, when God gives Cleopas and his friend that bread, he's saying this to them, you are free because I have broke the curse of sin. We no longer have to live under that. And that's what makes, listen, that's what makes you and I different from the rest of the world. This is why this is good news for us. Like we're not telling people, hey man, it's good news, you can go to church on Sunday morning now. My pastor, every once in a while, tells a funny joke. It's great. No, no. We're telling people, listen, it's good news. You don't have to live with the the condemnation you once lived with. You You don't have to live under the weight of not being enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. And Jesus gives you the bread of life and says, you are free. So today we can know this. And in Jesus, we have victory. We have victory. I'm going to ask the band to come. So when Jesus came, it's amazing to me that, God, that they didn't, like, um, he didn't come down in, um, like, flying, because he could have, right? And they could have thrown, like, a big, giant c- crusade and invited like a million people. I don't know how many people were living on earth at the time, more than a million. That would have been good. Nope, nope, that's not how God did it. He decided to come to two Joes who were walking along the road. This is how I know God cares about you. How I know he cares about me, because he came to two Joes. He came to some guy named Cleopas. And then he gave him some bread. And then he disappeared. (laughs) Like the whole thing is wild. You ever wonder why that was? Because it requires faith. Because it still required faith. What? Can you imagine you're Cleopas and you get, Jesus hands you the bread and you're like, and your eyes are open. This is the most amazing moment of your life. And then it says Jesus disappeared. What? You, you would have thought to yourself in that moment, I'm sure, did that really happen to me or was I hallucinating? You, you would have thought that, right? Because God still required that Cleopas have faith. God still requires that all of us have faith. It is part of our journey. By faith, all these people walked with the Lord. And I want to call you to a new kind of faith this season. This is the good news. We are free from sin. If you've, listen, if you've said yes to Jesus today, but you're still walking around with like, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. Today, I, I, I want to pray that that condemnation will be broken off of you. That you would live with a newfound freedom. This Jesus we serve, he's still handing out bread to us. 
He's still saying, you're mine. I got big things for you. You can make it. I know it feels like you're alone right now. I know it feels like you're walking through all kinds of disappointment. But you, you are not alone. I walk with you. Maybe you're watching online today and you just think, I couldn't even get out of bed to get to church today. I want you to remember that God is with you. He is with you in your disappointment. And he calls us not to just know about him, but to know him. He calls you to to know his very breath in your life. Across the house, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. As I was praying about this week, I, I just felt like I want God to bring, I'm asking, I'm asking God, and I know this is his will to do this, that he would bring revelation to us of his love for us. He'd bring revelation of his freedom to each of us, that we would know him in a new and profound way. So God, I pray for your people today. I pray for all of us that we would know you in profound and new ways. I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. God, where we have had, um, where we've had closedness, where we haven't seen you, I pray that you'd give us divine revelation of who you are today. May you come and bring relationship to us, God, so that we can walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to sing a song and Pastor Dave's going to close us. As we worship, though, would you just say, if you've never said this to God before, would you just say, God, I want to know you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I believe as we, as we pray that, listen, God, God never says no to us for this prayer. He always comes. His desire is for you today to know you. Bless you. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.